Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. As Jason said, my name's Barry. I'm one of the members of this church and have been for a very long time. I have no deep theological knowledge, but I am a Christian. So that might be a dichotomy, but we'll just have to find out. Last week, Jason spoke, uh, continuing the series, on the healing that took place in Mark, how they tore away the roof and they dropped the man through so that he could be healed. I, the last time I talked about this particular, or that particular subject some years ago, I, I classed it as a roof an act of ruthless, or should I say ruthless, determination. It's really the sort of first account of abseiling that I've ever noticed in the Bible, but it it was quite impressive. It goes on in Mark for the next four or five verses, 13 through 17, say this. And I've sort of amalgamated two versions of the Bible, the message and another, to come up with what I'm going to read to you now. Then Jesus went again to walk alongside the lake. And again, as was usual, a crowd came to him, and he taught them. Strolling along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, a tax collector, at his work collecting taxes in his booth. And Jesus said to him, come along with me. And he came. Later, Jesus and his disciples went to his home and were having supper with a collection of what could be classed disreputable guests. Unlikely as it seems, more than a few of them had actually become his followers. The religious scholars and Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company and blazed into his disciples saying, what kind of example is this? Cozying up and sitting with the riffraff of society. Jesus, overhearing this, retorted swiftly. Who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting the sin sick, the broken, not the spiritually fit. I don't know how many of you are sporting enthusiasts. I am a great lover of football, which many of you may groan at, but um, being an ardent Spurs supporter, I'm I'm totally convinced that football consists of a game of two halves. I have been elated by half-times in games and totally broken at the end of the second half. One sticks in my throat from some years back when Spurs were playing Manchester United. This goes back a very long way. And I switched the radio on at halftime and Spurs were 3-0 up against Manchester United. And I've never forgotten it. The feeling, the wonder, the awesomeness of that. We lost 5-3. They scored five in the second half and it was gutting. Those of you who are rugby supporters, last weekend, 29 minutes of the England-Scotland rugby match. We're 31-0 up. England are going great guns. And the second half was like throwing a pancake over. and. It was a scrape to get a draw at 38 all. This is unashamedly going to be a sermon of two halves. With a half-time short pep talk in the middle. 
The first half may not make great reading, but we're going to hope that the second half improves. Jason's already mentioned the word broken, as have I in the reading. It was, I think, several years ago when the church weekend away was in Bournemouth on a very windswept and wet weekend that we travelled home on a dark February afternoon and we arrived home quite relieved and a little tired and just looking forward to a quiet evening reflecting on what had taken place over the weekend. We opened the door and as Ellen went into the kitchen, to cut a very long story short, there was a sea of broken glass all across the kitchen floor, absolutely shattered. Somebody had attempted to break in and in the process had managed to demolish a couple of panes of glass. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been in the presence of broken glass and I'm sure many of you, or I'm sure some of you at least, may have far more horrific tales of break-ins than I'm about to tell you. But the one thing I noticed about this broken glass is that wherever you trod, it was awfully dangerous. It was everywhere, absolutely everywhere. And the thing about anything being broken is it shatters in a thousand directions. You're never quite sure where the debris is going to end up. And in the few stories and few scenarios I'm going to relate to you in the next few minutes, you can probably relate to many of these yourselves in some way, shape or form. And yours are probably going to be far more extreme than what I'm about to say. If you've ever been broken into, the feeling in the pit of your stomach is quite unique. And it's very unsettling. Very unsettling indeed. Broken journeys. How many of you have been on a journey that hasn't quite panned out? Ellen and I were going to be travelling to East Grinstead some years ago. And as we turned the bend on, again, a dark February night. What is it about February's? I don't know. A car swept across the road onto our side of the road on a bend. He was going far too fast and ploughed into the front end of our vehicle. Sufficiently hard enough to send the engine through into the dashboard. It was an awful prang. It was nasty. In fact, I was out of the car so quickly around the other side to try and get Ellen out the other door that she thought I'd actually been spirited away. That was the first thing she said, oh, thank God you're still here. The funny thing about it was a whole string of events that took place afterwards. A doctor was the first person coming in the opposite direction. A police car showed up in no time flat. And the amusement, and God's little bit of amusement in this scenario, the man who hit us, this is true, was called Mr. Careless. If you've ever been in a road accident, if you've ever had a collision with anybody, be it your fault or not, it leaves you with a feeling which is quite unique. I still remember that night. I still remember sitting with Ellen in East Grinstead Police Station singing a couple of spiritual songs, which isn't probably the most obvious thing you do in a police station. But we were just so grateful to be out of that in one piece and alive. And when we went back to look at the vehicle, some couple of days later, and we took Ellen's father with us, he took us down. We took one look at it and thought, crikey, that was a miracle that we got out of there unscathed. 
My other cars that I've had over the years have never been dependable. It's only been in recent years that we've been actually able to afford decent vehicles. Um, The night my daughter was born, 1st of January 1981, New Year's Day, just. I came out elated from St. Helio Hospital. I was a dad. It's an amazing feeling. It's an incredible feeling. I left Ellen, who was absolutely shattered, unsurprisingly. And I jumped into my Hillman Avenger, turned the key on a snowy night, and it was dead as doornails. And my sense of elation <laughs> turned to frustration. And I thought, oh, come on. And the amount of times that's happened to me have been numerous. Broken. People, unfortunately, go through a whole range of scenarios where either minds or bodies are broken in some way, shape, or form, be it mental, be it physical, thrillness of one sort or another. But that word broken is with us right the way through our lives, whether it's something that's happened to us in a car accident, in in an attempted robbery, a robbery, it might be in so many scenarios, or it might just be something that physically happens or mentally happens to us in our bodies. We have expressions for it, don't we? He's like a broken reed. I read the actual definition of that, and I was quite saddened by it. A person whose former integrity or strength of character has been sapped, and who is now perceived or seen as pitiable, spineless, or ineffectual. Sometimes we feel like a broken reed. You're in scenarios, you're in situations where you just don't feel you can cope. You may have been in a scenario where you're physically broken. Broken bones, broken limbs. I remember playing in attack with a lovely, lovely Jamaican guy called Branville. And it was Granny and Barry up front for the team. We didn't have the world's most successful season, but the two of us hit it off like a house on fire. It was amazing. And during one game on Clapham Common on a Saturday afternoon, Granville went in for a tackle and snapped his leg. Never forgotten it. In fact, it affected me when I saw what had happened to his leg so badly I couldn't actually physically play for a few weeks. And they carted him off to St. George's Hospital, and Ellen and I went to visit him. And when we went in to visit him, Granny had about 15 to 20 of his Jamaican church friends around him. It was amazing. It was the day, days when I suppose you could have as many visitors as you like and he didn't get kicked out of the ward. But we went in to see him and I got chatting to one of the, well, we got chatting to one of the ladies there. And um, in her lovely, lovely voice, she said, uh, I, I said, well, you know, where do you come from? What do you do? He said, well, we're at Granny's Church. And I said, what do you do? And she said, I'm a missionary. Now, the immediate thing that jumped into my head was some far-flung continent somewhere. And I said, where are you a missionary? And she said, Tooting! (laughs) (laughs) We sometimes have a misperception of certain things. Our concentration sometimes breaks in certain situations. I like writing. 
But the amount of times I've sat down with a blank page in front of me and inspiration just doesn't seem to come have been numerous. You've heard of writer's block. You've heard of all sorts of scenarios where, for some reason, this chain of thought to hand to paper is just broken. Your confidence is broken. Believe me, having been a teacher for 29 years in the past, there are some classrooms I've walked into where at the end of it, my confidence has been well and truly broken. Just trying to cope with a whole range of scenarios that may or may not be familiar to me. And some of you are in jobs where sometimes you will find that just your confidence is undermined, is shattered, is broken by circumstances that are all around you. And it takes a great act of will and an awful lot of prayer sometimes to get that confidence back so that you can walk back through those doors and just carry on again. And if, as happened on one occasion, you get a class which is particularly difficult and you've got them day after day after day for 195 days, and I remember exactly how long it was, your confidence can be sometimes well and truly shattered. And if you look around, you only have to switch the news on these days. We have a society and we have a country whose confidence at the moment is well and truly broken. Oh, dear God, how we need to pray over the next few days and weeks. We have resentment. We have jealousy. We have religious fanaticism. We have racial fanaticism. We have Brexit. We have knife crime. We have a whole host of things that are just breaking up in front of us. We have relationships breaking up. We have marriages breaking up. What's the statistic? One in about 2.3 marriages break. They snap. What causes it? A whole lack of, a whole whole mountain of things. Lack of interest, taking each other for granted, infidelity. And no one's exempt from any of these things. Look at King David. An immense character in the Bible. What got him? Looking across out of his palace and seeing a woman he wanted that was someone else's wife. Anything can get you at any moment in time and anything can break a relationship and anything can break something somewhere in your lives. And that's life. We have broken values. We take things now as being acceptable that God looks down and says, hang on a minute, are those things that are going on around you in this world really acceptable? They don't seem to tally with my way of life. We have broken relationships and friendships. Friendships are another thing that can break very, very easily. And they're not exclusive to non-Christians. I look back at one of the things that has always reassured me that people are human. Paul and Barnabas were about to go on a trip together. And this happened. 
Barnabas wanted to take John along, the John nickname Mark, but Paul didn't want him and wouldn't have him. He wasn't about to take along someone who'd let him down in the past, as soon as the going got tough. Tempers flared. Now, how often do you read that in the Bible between two Christians? Tempers flared. And they ended up going their separate ways. Such was the argument and the scope of their disagreement. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and went off to Syria and Cilicia. No one's immune from an argument. No one's immune from a difference of opinion. No one is immune from things being broken because we're human beings, and thank God we are, otherwise we'd be robots. We have our own set of values and rules, which hopefully we get from God, but we all interpret them slightly differently. And it's quite right that we should discuss and have opinions and be able to share those opinions with each other. And hopefully 99.9% of the time, they don't end up in furious arguments and tempers flaring. But things break and will continue to do so. And finally, just to round off the first half, when I look at the news, I have been broken-hearted this week, just looking at the cyclone that has swept through Africa. Just looking at those people who have lost everything. Their entire world is in a small bundle that's carried on their back. And that's not new. It happens and has happened since time immemorial, and it will continue to happen. We have a broken world. And it ain't going to fix itself. And sometimes we feel so overwhelmed we can't actually get inside of us the feeling that we can do anything about it. It's too big. It's too enormous. So a lot of people in this world just step back and say, I'm just going to mind me in my little corner. I can't do anything. And here is where we get to half time, and God says, you've had a bad first half. It looks bleak, folks, doesn't it? All these things are broken. Do you know, to break something takes a split second. To create something can take ages. I remember when I was at college, training to be a teacher, somebody told me a story, and I met a blind man who had built some of the most beautiful buildings out of matchsticks. They were a joy to behold, and I thought, boy, this guy is incredible. How did you make this out of matchsticks? I couldn't even make it, and I can see fully what I'm doing. You are amazing, the talent you've got. And he just felt his way through. And he had an exhibition, and somebody came in and crushed one of his buildings. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, I'll just build it again. God's given me the ability to build it again. It takes hours, weeks, months, years, a lifetime sometimes to build something. It takes a split second of thoughtlessness to crush it. Whistle's gone. 
half time. Let's get into the changing room. Now, the amount of team talks I've given to football teams as a manager of a football team have been innumerable. They don't always work, I hasten to add. Some of the second halves were equally as bad as the first halves. But thankfully, God's team talk isn't quite going to pan out the same way. Those of you who remember Brian Clough, a great football manager, a very self-opinionated man, a man who knew what he was doing, got his team in, and at half-time he said something like this. He got the Nottingham Forest team in during the half-time of the European Cup final, and in the dressing room, Cluffy said, as he entered the door, he put the ball down on the floor and he said this. Never mind what's going on out there. That is your best friend. If you keep it and don't give it away, we'll get somewhere. There was a chorus I sang when I was a little boy at Sunday school. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Do any of you know that? Good, because you're going to help me sing it. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Stop focusing on the opposition. Stop focusing on everything that's broken. Notice it. Stop focusing on all those players that you think are playing so well out there and running rings around you. Keep your eyes on the ball. And if you've got the ball, it doesn't matter what they try and do and however fancy it might look, if we've got the ball, we're in the ascendancy. Let's transfer that to the Christian life. There's Jesus, the ball. Keep the ball. Keep the ball and focus on it. And if you can focus on the ball and keep the ball, then you'll do well, second half. And here's the second half, swiftly. And I hope it's encouraging to you. In Psalm 66, verse 5, it says this, take a good look at God's wonders. They'll take your breath away. When everything seems bleak, when everything seems broken, when everything seems devoid of hope, just refocus. Take a good look at God's wonders. They'll really take your breath away. Stop being overwhelmed by the opposition. It's easy to do. You have abilities. You have gifts. You have talents. It tells us that right the way through the New Testament. You have something that quite honestly nobody else has got. The key is, show me, God, how to use it. And whoever you interact with and come into contact with, it's going to make a difference to them. It's a drop in a bucket. 
But in here, I don't know how many drops you've got, 60, 70? You put 60 or 70 drops together and you get a significant quantity of water and a significant quantity of refreshment. The next thing to encourage you is this. You're God's friend. You're not only his child, you're his friend. Abraham believed God. God accepted Abraham's faith. His faith made him right with God. And as it says in James chapter 2, verse 23, he was called God's friend. Have you ever thought of yourself as God's friend? Because that's what you are. And he loves you. And he cares for you. When you're with a friend, doesn't it feel good? The best times Ellen and I have are sharing stuff with friends. Be it a trip, be it a meal, be it anything. If you're with friends, it's great. It lifts your spirits. It keeps you going. If you're with God, he can lift your spirits. He can keep you going. The next thing is... How many of you enjoyed chemistry at school? I hated it. Did anyone enjoy chemistry? Yeah, one or two of you did. That's fine. The one thing I used to really enjoy in chemistry, on the odd occasion I did enjoy chemistry, was when you've got two different compounds, two different things, be it, an, uh, be it a liquid and a solid, be it a gas and a solid, be it a gas and a liquid, when you put some things together, amazing things happen. Kaboom! or brilliant lights flashed, or smoke billowed into the air. You are a catalyst. Sometimes, if you can be put together, either with other people in the right place, or with God in the right place, or with God and other people in the right place, amazing things happen. On your own, you might feel... Dead as a doornail. But together, you might just be the thing that something else or someone else needs to actually get them and you going in the Christian life and doing stuff. You can be a catalyst. Outside in this world, there are countless tens of thousands of lonely people. And they're not all old. Could you be a catalyst for one of them? Could you be a catalyst for a group of them? Have you ever thought that you are a catalyst? And if you're not doing anything at the moment, maybe you need to get with someone or get with God and become a catalyst and actually burst into life. It doesn't only make you burst into life, but it makes them burst into life too. God doesn't do anything in this world, some people say. Well, he won't do anything unless you get together with him and start doing something. Although he's quite capable of doing it without you, he'd prefer you to join him. He's your friend. And he wants you to be a part of the second half of the match. The next and penultimate encouragement is this. I tell you the truth, said Jesus, Everything that you do, whatever you did, for the very least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Whatever you're doing, 
with God at your side has value. Sometimes it may not seem as if it's got any value at all. Sometimes you may not think anybody has even noticed. But whatever you do, and however you do it, God values what you do in every sense of the word. And he thinks about you. I think about my grown-up children and my friends a lot. I think of my grandchildren a lot. Why? Because I love them. God thinks about you a lot. Have you ever thought about that? God thinks about you, whoever you are and wherever you are, a lot. I'm really encouraged. God, you're all around me, in front of me, behind me, and you put your hand on me, said David in the Psalms. Your knowledge is amazing to me. It's certainly more than I can understand. I know you're there, and I know you care. Where can I get away from your spirit? I can't. Where can I run from you? Nowhere. He's there. However bleak, however broken, however tough, he's there. He will not forget your work, it says in Hebrews, and the love you've shown him, and how you've helped his people. Well, if that isn't encouraging, I don't know what is. And finally, don't give up. The temptation to give up sometimes is overwhelming. God is listening. Sometimes it may seem that the responses don't come in your direction loud enough, but God is listening and he does pay attention. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. One thing I've always tried to do is to honour my now deceased parents and try and do the things that they would have wanted me to do. One of the things that I've been blessed with is not only brilliant human parents, but a brilliant Heavenly Father too. And the one thing I would like to try and do as I get older and older is to do him justice as well as them. My mantra, if that's the right word to use, is wherever I go and whatever I do, I want to leave where I've been and what I've seen better than when I found it. Whether that's tutoring a child, whether that's doing a garden, whatever it might be, I want to leave it better than when I found it. Can you imagine how that would be if the world felt the same way? And that's what God actually asks of me. I want to leave it better than when I found it. I want you to take me with you, and I want you, in whatever you're doing, however humble it might seem, if it's sweeping a floor, if it's mowing a garden, if it's doing whatever it might be, I want you to leave it better than when you found it. Take that away with you. And ask him to show you how you can leave something better. There are a lot of people in a lot of places, in a lot of situations out there that need you. Not the person next to you or behind you or in front of you. There are a lot of people that need you. 
and nobody else can substitute for the job that you need to do. When I was on a football pitch, I was me. Sometimes I didn't play well enough, so I got substituted. Sometimes I had a blazingly good game and I came off the pitch feeling very satisfied. And that's going to be the same in our life. Sometimes you're going to feel, I can't, I'm not up to this, I need a substitute. (laughs) But God wants you. He's given you his friendship. He's given you his promise to be with you. He wants you to be his catalyst and he wants you to change the world. It's a big order. Sometimes the world's too big a place for me to change. Well, why don't we try changing our small corner of it? And let's wait and see what happens. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online, wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk. 